Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast, taking a little bit of a turn today and not reviewing a movie, but interviewing somebody that has been involved with movies for a long part of her life. I am interviewing Reba Merrill today. Reba has traveled all around the world and has interviewed actors and actresses for over 20 years. And here's a clip of her interviewing John Travolta. Last week, I asked my husband if all his dreams had come true, and he said no. And he said to me, have all your dreams come true? And I said, better than I ever thought they would. And I wonder if your wife asked you that question. What I would say? Uh Uh-huh. About did your dreams come true? Every dream of mine has come true. Uh, And I'm with you probably more than expected. I'm living in somebody else's novel. I have a few novels that are going on, actually. In addition to interviewing all sorts of celebrities, Reba is also an Academy voter as well for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which means she gets to vote on the movies that receive Oscars. And with all that being said, Reba, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. And just to start with, how did you get started as your career as a journalist and uh, reviewing all these movies? Well, no, I started in local television uh, doing a talk show. Isn't that where everybody <laughs> I did a talk show, I, and the reason I did a talk show is I used to throw these incredible dinner parties, and I could get people to talk about anything. And so after I did a stupid commercial, which I, the commercial wasn't stupid, it just made me as a woman feel stupid, I came home and announced to my family that I would get a talk show. <laughs> Obviously, you can see I come from a family where everybody laughs. <laughs> and so it took me a year of a lot of no's, um, to get my first talk show in Phoenix at the ABC station, and it was called Reba, and it was on once a week in the afternoon, and I think everybody should know that I get paid $25 (laughs) (laughs) per show, (laughs) but I did work myself up to five days a week, and I created Good Morning Arizona, which is still on the air. And with your first talk show, what was the focus of that talk show? Was it entertainment-based or what? No, it was uh, living in uh, Scottsdale, Phoenix area. We got a lot of celebrities. So it was uh, a broad base of, oh, my goodness, can I get this celebrity? Because, I mean, Phoenix is not exactly on the road to a lot of people drop in. But they did come because we had a big tennis ranch there, and we had... You know, it, it was a hideout in the wintertime. So um, if I could get it to be entertainment-based, I would. I just want to do one little example. I got to interview the man that ended up writing the Bourne trilogy. Oh, that's really cool. And it was because um, he's an actor, and, and I found a picture. And with a magnifying glass, I saw what book he was reading. I mean, what book he was pushing, which was the Ryman Exchange, and he was a failed actor, and I got him to read some of his words, and I just loved it. And when I met Matt Damon, I told him about it. Matt was absolutely ecstatic. He thought that was the greatest little story. <laughs> okay, well, let's face it, the Bourne uh, trilogy made Matt Damon into a superstar. It really did. You could definitely say that that was the movies that propelled his career to where it is now. So just to get me to Hollywood, I got fired a lot. I did four talk shows, and I never left on my own volition. I was always asked to leave. And um, at an age where women are not welcome in Hollywood, 
I had nothing to lose because at that point I had gotten, in a six-month period, 17 rejections from talk shows all over the country. And I came to Hollywood. And I came to Hollywood with an agenda, I have to admit it. I didn't want to stop working, and yet I was a woman that was considered too old for Hollywood. And realized when I worked for CBS in San Diego doing their big morning talk show, um, that the only way to get a one-on-one interview with a movie star was on a press junket. And the press junkets were invitation only. And the only was extended to just 50 journalists. Hmm, that's really surprising. So you had to, obviously... Figure it, out how to be yeah. one of 50 and not have a television show. How's that? That sounds like extremely difficult uh, circumstances to overcome. Well, guess what I did? I sat in a room at 20th Century Fox with a free telephone and a book of all the television stations in the country and said, Hello, I will be your Hollywood producer. Will you take canned material from Hollywood? And that, I got 55 stations, in the, most of them in the top 50 markets. That's very impressive. And then I went to, and then nobody would take my call. You have to understand something about Hollywood. If they don't know you, you might as well be in the black hole. And a lot of times when they do know you, they never return your calls anyway. But that's just a Hollywood story. But the thing is that um, I went to somebody who I did know, and we tested it out. And I, I just want to tell you the first movie so you understand the power of what I really created. The movie was Cujo. The movie had wrapped. There was no behind-the-scenes footage whatsoever because they were not doing electronic press kits. They were just starting. And I didn't even call it an electronic press kit. I called it a video profile because I decided I would make exactly what I wanted when I was working in television. I didn't want to talk about the movie. I wanted to talk to the movie star. Mm -hmm. And we got an interview with Dee Wallace. We went to her house. We photographed her scrapbook. We photographed the two posters on the wall. She was the mother in E.T., and she was the woman in the bar at 10. So we had two posters, her scrapbook, and some B-roll of her walking around her, her swimming pool with her husband. That was it. We did this interview. I really wasn't exactly sure what to do. I knew how to interview. I knew how to cut the piece. But I didn't know what to give the station, so I gave them five minutes. And guess what they did? They cut it in half, ran it two nights, reviewed the movie on the third night, and they all played it. That's, that's really cool. And so then I went to a bigger company, and I got to sit down with Robert Redford, Paul Newman, and cut a Burt Reynolds piece all in a period of a month. <laughs> and I thought, you do something, I'm on to something. But, but then I got a meeting with somebody at Universal, and she was on my talk show in San Diego, though I didn't remember her, I have to be honest. And she said, nobody knows who you are, but you were good to me. I will give you this movie, but if you fail, please have the courtesy not to come back. And you know what, Jared? I knew I wasn't going to fail. I'd already done four films. The television stations that I was supplying with these um, video profiles were going crazy because they had never had re legitimate interviews. Mm -hmm. 
the studios did is tell me about your film. What was it like working with the director? What was it like working with your leading co-star? Nobody talked to the actors like they were actors or people, and that's what I did. Now, you've already mentioned a few of the interviews that you've done over the years. What have been some of your most memorable interviews that you've conducted? Well, I would say Robin Williams, because Robin sets, and I've done him six times. How I've lived through it, I don't know. (laughs) Robin's whole agenda is to make me laugh. Hmm. Now, I should have told you that all those 55 stations took credit for the interviews I sent. You never saw me. Hmm. You heard my voice. My voice was on a separate track, and most of them replaced my voice with their local anchor. Hmm. That's what I designed so that I could grow old and you would never know, A, that I was getting older, even that if I was a woman. So um, I would say Robin because he wanted to make me laugh. If I laughed, as you know, it would ruin the track, and then his wonderful words would be lost, where in reality, the only way to interview Robin Williams for me was to go to the bathroom. Hmm. Because he made me laugh so much that I knew that I was going to wet my pants (laughs) holding it in. And he did that. (laughs) He just went after me. (laughs) Of course, I was probably a foil. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the toughest interview, I would say, that turned out to be really great for me, but a tough interview was Harrison Ford. Not because he means to be tough. He's very shy. Hmm. And he's very uncomfortable doing interviews. And for some reason, I didn't know that, but I like to do a lot of research. I see, I find that if I can find little kernels to open them up, um, the ice breaks, because I only get 10 minutes with these stars, and I need everything I get to be able to make three to five minutes. Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot of research, and I sit down. This happened to be for Air Force One, so I had a, a legitimate reason of talking about heroes. Um, I said to him, you play some of the greatest heroes on film. Are you getting back at the bullies that used to beat you up at school? Hmm. Like the question? Yeah. He looked at me, <laughs> and he said, I only told one person. Well, I didn't open my mouth, but I will tell you, that one person put it on the Internet. Hmm. And he told the story. He was new in school, and he was the sport at recess. And they did it to him every single day. They pushed him down a hill, and he said to me, I picked myself up, dusted myself off, and went up. And he said, don't feel sorry for me. The girls took me under their wing. (laughs) I think it also tells you what kind of man he is. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, Cher was the most revealing the first time. The first time I interviewed her was for Mask. The interview was extraordinary. I asked her if she ever took risks. She says, well, when you have nothing and they think you're nobody. Now, remember, this is about being an actress, not a singer. Mm -hmm. She said, I had nothing to lose. 
I say the first interview was great because when I interviewed her the second time, she hated the movie, she hated the director, she hated the co-star, and I'm the weakest link on a film. So she took it out on me. Hmm. Okay. Have you, uh, over your career, have you experienced that there are a lot of actors like Harrison Ford that are kind of more reserved when they do interviews and it's harder to get them to come out of their shell and reveal things? Yes. I would say that what makes really a great actor is when they take on a role and it fits like a sleek leather glove and you don't see them. Mm -hmm. You see the character. In fact, that's happening right now in a movie that I am amazed that there hasn't been a buzz about this performance is Colin Farrell in Saving Mr. Banks. Mm -hmm. Yes, I saw that and I, I loved him in that movie. And nobody has talked about it. They haven't. I, I, I'm just... Well, we have to see... Well, no, because I voted in the SAG Awards, and he wasn't nominated. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've done the... I've only done the nominations, just so you understand. I've only done the nominations for the Oscars for film. Um, I don't know if you know how the Oscars work, but each branch nominates their own, and I'm in the PR branch. So I only get to nominate the uh, five films, though I thought it was going to be ten, because it was ten last year and ten the year before. Mm-hmm. This year it's only five. Hmm. Okay. Um, actors, nominate actors, directors, directors, etc., etc. So I, I've only done that. Now, when the, when the nominations are called on the 16th, you know, then I get to vote for everything. Mm-hmm. So that process works that you send in... If I'm understanding it right, you, you send in the films you would like to be nominated, and then once they announce nominations, you vote on who Everything. you think should win? Okay. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is that I voted electronically like I did last year. And every single, just so you know, is to pick the five. Um, and I didn't know it was five till I, till I saw the ballot. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said, um, every single film that was released, in the United States, mm-hmm. from that period to uh, over that year, was in that list. Do you know how long it took me? To <laughs> <laughs> There's probably what a lot, five hundred, six hundred movies in there, maybe more. That yeah, quickly too. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about the Oscars and the SAG Awards a little bit. I know we talked before we were uh, officially recording the interview that you can't tell me what you actually voted for for those five films, but you said you had a list of ten that you yes. thought. Okay, can you go ahead and tell us what the ten you might think would be good movies would be? Yes, I will do that, and I'm not, and not in any order. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fact, I well, can I won't even give it to you in the order I voted in, if you don't mind. That's Academy perfectly fine. made it very clear they do not want us to tell you how I voted. Mm-hmm. And I completely understand that. So the ten films that I think are the players are Nebraska, Her, Saving Mr. Banks, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Wolf of Wall Street, Twelve Years a Slave, Gravity, All is Lost, American Hustle. Okay, that's a that is I've seen all of those I believe. Um, and that's a very good list. Um, so I've from all is lost. I've heard that you know it hasn't been getting the kind of buzz that all these other movies are getting, like American Hustle and 
all these uh, other films. But I really liked Robert Redford in that movie, and I thought he did a very good job I in did that too. movie. I hadn't seen him like this for a long time. I interviewed him uh, a few times. As you know, I started with mm-hmm. Robert Redford on, on The Natural. Um, y- you have to understand something about my career, just as an, an aside, is that I only did the interviews on the films that somebody hired me for. I didn't work for anybody but myself. Okay, so you were pretty much like an independent contractor and would just... Exactly. So that when I sat down to do an interview, um, the first uh, nine years of my career, they were for full electronic press kits. Do you know what they are? Yes, I do. And the second half of my career, which got much larger, was only for the international marketplace. So... um, a lot of my interviews have never been seen in the United States. Hmm. But they played in 60 countries, and they all went into somebody else's voice was where I was in a language that obviously I didn't speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you have been, according to your website, you've been all over the world. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite places that you have been to? Oh, come on. <laughs> I am such a good sport when they send me to France. <laughs> First of all, on a French film set, not only is the bread incredible, they serve wine <laughs> for lunch. It's unheard of in the United States. On a United States set, they serve <laughs> Twizzlers. <laughs> <laughs> so France is my... Oh, and I did a lot of films over there. I, I did films in Burgundy. I did films outside of Paris. I did films inside of Paris. I'm, so, yes, that, I, I, I like that. But I have to go the other way, too. I was highly intrigued shooting in Russia. Hmm. I did two films, and it was in the wintertime. Don't ask me why people <laughs> would like to shoot in Moscow in November, December of, of, um, of the year. So it was very, very cold. Um, but one film was shot in, in, in Moscow, and Moscow in 1990, the wall had just come down, and the free enterprise system was just coming in, which meant that the money for the films were really coming from the mafia. Hmm. And so what they did is they brought in all the equipment for, from Helsinki, because they didn't really have anything. We shot at Moss Films, which is the big studio of Moscow. You couldn't even go to the bathroom there. Everything was in such... Oh, despicable condition. Hmm. So the second film was shot at the top of Russia in Arkhangis, which uh, Americans would never have been allowed into because it was a secret submarine base. Huh. But now it was wide open, and I shot this film, and the money was really was Russian money. Hmm. Um, and we shot the film in daylight only, so I worked from sun up to one o'clock in the afternoon that's it Hmm. it was it it was late and it's so far north it would get dark very early and i used a young film student and an interpreter and i paid him sixty dollars um tootsie rolls (laughs) and packets of cigarettes marlboros (laughs) And I told him through the interpreter how I wanted him to shoot because we were shooting behind the scenes, and I made him get up on a school bus and shoot the vista of the scene with all this snow. By the way, the snow was up to my knees, 
And um, I really believe that I do my best interviews sitting down. Mm-hmm. And so my husband had, I always bring my husband on the foreign shoots and put him as part of the crew so that I have somebody watching my back. Um, he had made friends with the man that was in the world, uh, in the Guinness Book of Records, who had driven a dog sled across, all across the top of Russia, and he was there. And he convinced the man to do two things. Let me have a ride in a dog sled, which, by the way, smells of dog pee, but that's another story. <laughs> but he brought me a stump from a tree hmm. in his dog sled so I could sit down and do the interviews. Huh. We're still up to my knees. <laughs> but the idea I was sitting down, I was much more comfortable. And then the other one were the jungles of Brazil, where I did the film. Oh, by the way, the film in Russia was called The Ice Runner. And one of the expressions you hear on a film is, check the gate, which means, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you had to check the gate by sending it to Helsinki, and they didn't want to do it. The shutter froze, and I am the only person to this day that has the original footage from that film. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Yes. Someday I'll do something with it. I haven't <laughs> figured out what to do with it. And then the other film was The Jungles of Brazil. And to get there, we had to go on the stunt plane which had, still had the bullet holes in it. Oh, it was all about mining diamonds, hmm. and they really mined diamonds in this village where we shot. So they, it, it was... Examples, I just wanted you to know. Hmm. <laughs> so th- those are the things. I mean, the, my life, you know, somebody asked me about my dreams. I have to be honest. My reality was a lot bigger than my dreams. I never thought I could do this. Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be an Oscar voter. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I did in Hollywood is not where most of the Oscar uh, voters come from. My branch, they really come from executives at studios that were presidents, vice presidents, executive vice presidents of the marketing division. Electronic press kit people weren't. And I got in because I was nominated by the president of marketing at Universal and a senior VP from Columbia Pictures. And I worked on two Oscar-nominated films in one year. The year was 1988. The films were, or the year they were nominated, were Ironweed with Meryl Streep, and I have an interview with her, and Jack Nicholson, and I don't have an interview with him, (laughs) and Rain Man. Hmm. And I have Dustin and Tom and all, everything. And those two films were nominated, and of course, you know, Rain Man won. Mm -hmm. I think they like to take care of their own, and that kind of made me part of their own. I had to work eight years doing what I was doing before I could even be considered to be nominated. Hmm. So I am honored. And uh, to repay this, I have sat since 1993 on the Foreign Screening Committee. Okay. And that's not easy. Mm-hmm. This year we had 67 films. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't screen them all, I have to admit. <laughs> so what else would you like to know about the Oscars? <clears throat> um, Hollywood. Um, have you ever attended the Oscars? Mm-hmm. At, okay. What was that experience like? Well, for people like me, remember, I'm not important. Mm-hmm. There are two rows. <laughs> <laughs> There's the stars going by the television crews, mm-hmm. and then there's people like me. Now, what I have developed was 
what I call the Oscar shuffle. That if I end up walking really, really slowly, I can be captured on video behind a star. <laughs> and my daughter happened to find one. Of course, I was talking and my head was turned, but then I came back. Mm-hmm. Um, for last year, when I was caught behind, I think, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't, I didn't really like going to the Oscars because my, uh, I, I only get seats in, in the mezzanines. Mm-hmm. Like last year was the first time I ever got a seat in the first mezzanine. Uh, it's done by lottery, and um, there's no guarantee that you'll get a seat unless you really try to go to the second mezzanine where the people on the stage look like ants. Mm-hmm. That's how big the theater is. Mm-hmm. And that's where I usually sat because I just wanted to go. Mm-hmm. We went about three times. Um, I went the year that um, the, uh, I thought this was brilliant, where they, the previous winners came up and stood on stage with the five nominees. Yes, I remember that. And so that was the year that Sophia Loren was there. Of course, I never interviewed her. But she had this power to make me to make my heart pound, and the only other person that ever did that from just standing near them was Cary Grant. Hmm. I mean, I went, I, I went. It was near the end of his life. I wasn't exactly. I was working, and I, I went to the theater, and he came out at intermission. I stood next to him, and my heart just pounded. My heart did not pound when I sat down with Jimmy Stewart. It should have. <laughs> I did, but I was, you know, I'm a journalist. I, I, I was thrilled to be able to do this. It was, by the way, the last interview he ever gave. The year was 1985. It was for the re-release of um, the Glenn Miller story. And the reason he didn't do anything after that is that he had lost the hearing in one ear, and the hearing was going in the second year, mm. and of great pride, and he wasn't going to stand there and look like a fool. Mm-hmm. So it was the year that he got the honorary Oscar, and then it tapers down to doing nothing. Now, you have recently wrote a book that yes, came I... out in November. It's called Nearly Famous Secrets, Lies, and Addiction, correct? Yes. I share a lot of uh, common traits <laughs> with actors. <laughs> Um, the reason I'm nearly famous is I was the only one in the room who wasn't famous when I did the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept a lot of secrets. I told a lot of lies. I think it's very common for addicts. Mm-hmm. I was really quite proficient as being a manipulator. Um, I kept a lot of things secret. But my behavior is what eventually gets me fired from that big first half of my career. I actually opened my mouth to Universal. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) They never hired me again. (laughs) Nobody told me that you keep your mouth shut. So where can people uh, buy your book if they would like to read it? And also, where can they find out more about you as well if they want to? Well, I have a Facebook page, of course. Mm -hmm. But let me talk about the book for one second. Because I'm really excited because as of yesterday, I am now a Kindle. (laughs) To tell you what, it was an act of God to get the Kindle up there. The book has been up in, since December. I might have written it in November, but it took a long time mm-hmm. to get it up on Amazon. Yeah. And it took even a longer time to get the Kindle up. Hmm. Um, it's a mysterious story. 
and I don't know if I want to talk about it publicly, but yeah. it was amazing. Um, the book really talks about a lot of my mistakes. It also talks about where I came from. And I came from being divorced and destitute with two little kids, and I think the drive to succeed came from those moments, mm-hmm. actually four years of moments of trying to figure out how to survive, because maybe since we'll, we might meet again and you might see me, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you the, the biggest secret of all. What is that? I'm going to be 79 in a couple of weeks. <laughs> How's that? That's very, that's very impressive. And I leave in March to do another lecture series on a celebrity cruise. Oh, okay. On all over the world, thanks to some of the greatest cruise lines, um, talking about Hollywood, showing the interviews. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it I talk about in the book. But most of all, the book is the mistakes I made as a woman. Um, being a woman in Hollywood was not easy. There wasn't a support group at all. Though I have to say that as women became more and more successful in Hollywood, I did look like a threat. So I owe a great deal to the men that, were, that hired me mm-hmm. and to the few women, and I would say few. There were three women that hired me consistently, and that's all. Hmm. And that's what the book is. It's not just the stories about movie stars. It's what it took for me to have this career. And um, I'm very proud of it. And, of course, I think it'll be a lifetime movie of the week. But (laughs) what do I know? Um, But you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on um, Kindle now. And I would love, though you didn't ask me, Mm -hmm. I would love to share something with you. I wrote, it's in the book, and um, it's the thing that I want to, give to you as a gift. It's the 10 things I learned working in Hollywood. Will you let me do that? Sure, go ahead. Number 10, when dealing with incompetent people with studio power, take your name off the project. Hmm. Number 9, mean people don't single you out. They are mean to everyone. Number 8, don't take on someone who is sleeping with their powerful boss. Number 7, make contacts first then develop talent second. Number six, an inflated ego is hazardous to your health, marriage, and career. Number five, since Hollywood is high school with money, try to stay away from the mean girls. Number four, don't burn bridges. Keep your opinions to yourself. Number three, a successful career does not guarantee happiness. Number two, always say yes, even if you mean no. And number one, for me to survive in Hollywood, I had to learn to lie as part of my lifestyle. (laughs) Did I surprise you? Yes, it did. That's exactly what it was like. That's what the book is based on. I made so many mistakes that I I think the only thing that kept me going is that the airplay that I was delivering on these interviews was something they had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And somebody who wrote it, a, a little note for my book said that he was amazed that anybody ever hired me, because, not because of my behavior, that was later, but because I asked the questions that no one from a studio normally would allow you to ask. 
Well, Reba, unfortunately, our time is up. This has been a great interview. Very interesting to learn about your career. Also, the Oscars as well. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, Jared, I have a question for you. Sure. How about after the nominations are out, we come back and talk again? Sure. Let's do that. That sounds like a great idea. You can find me. Call me anytime. Uh, And call me anytime if you want secrets. I'm very good at secrets. If I could be anonymous, I would give you a lot of secrets. (laughs) But I'm not anonymous right now. So (laughs) call me and we'll talk. Okay. Thank you very much, Reba. Bye. Have a great day. Again, just a reminder that you can find the Silver Screen podcast on iTunes, also on Stitcher Radio, the Zoom Marketplace, or the TuneIn app. Also, be sure to like the Silver Screen podcast on Facebook. Also, like Reba Merrill's page on Facebook. And you can follow the Silver Screen podcast on Twitter as well at the SS Podcast. That is the handle for it. Again, it's at the SS Podcast. Reba's book is available on Amazon and, as she mentioned, for the Kindle as well. On the next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast, keeping with this theme, I will interview Kristen Burt. Kristen is a writer for NBC Universal's iVillage.com. She also has covered the Oscars for the last three years and was at the nominations on Thursday. I will talk with her about some of the surprises and snubs of the Oscar nominations. That's coming up on the next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.